This is Karen with NewClevelandRadio.net, and it is time for Heart Mojo. And I'm really interested in Melinda's guest today and the company he represents, because what I understand, Melinda, is you got connected with the company, and now this is something that you are adding to your plate of something that you want to share here, not only on your show, but here in the Cleveland area. So go well, ahead. Or anywhere. It. it doesn't have to stop at Cleveland. Okay. You know, people watch us everywhere. Yeah, this is the very first time that I've done anything like this with my podcast, something that I'm actually involved in. I am a connected care partner for electronic caregiver. And I really wanted to share this with everyone because this company helps you get through challenges with your loved one whether it's for home, whether they're in an independent or assisted living, that's what this company can do. It can help your loved one stay safe and stay home longer. So I'm not going to be doing any more speaking. I'm going to let Anthony Dorman, who's the CEO and founder, thank you for being on, from Electronic Caregiver. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. So I'm very excited to have you on. You have some questions about the company, I understand. Well, yeah, we want to share with our listeners um, what the company does. First of all, how did you get started in it? What made you decide to uh, bring out Electronic Caregiver? Uh, You know, I started in the security industry when I was a kid, when I was in my teens. And, uh, you know, I'd had kind of a tough upbringing. So I liked putting technology and services into homes to monitor environments so that nobody would be surprised by somebody sneaking up on them. And that passion for the business from, you know, technology to learning people's stories throughout the years. Um, You know, a lot of times somebody would act, as they say, after, you know, the the animal has already escaped the barn, right? They already left the door open. And so, you know, there were a lot of stories and predicaments and some traumas that people had been through. And um, the work always felt meaningful and purposeful. And so getting into health monitoring in the home was kind of a natural progression. Now, I'd been in connected homes and businesses, putting technology and services in for monitoring, environmental monitoring, security monitoring, life safety, uh, medical alert. And I've been doing that for for over 30 years. And I had a partner that said, you know, you have developed technology. You are really um, intuitive with your teams, starting with the actual customer, right? There's a lot of people that have engineers and inventors and they like to make things that they think are special or cool. Um, But you really have to do a lot of work to understand your customer and what they're going through day to day and what their needs are. Um, And you have to start building from that space back. So I had a partner that owns one of the biggest monitoring companies in the country. And he said, have you looked at the rate of escalating chronic conditions? Have you looked at how large the aging population is today? Have you looked at the forecast for how big the aging population is going to expand 
And have you taken a look at the struggles of the caregivers? They mm -hmm. haven't been trained to be caregivers. They are suffering their own increasing rates of stress-related illnesses. They are going through financial hardships. They're suffering mental health disorders. And he said, you know, as an innovator who understands the kind of A to Z of developing products, putting them to market, I think you got to take a look at the stats and the stats were staggering and it was another group we could help. So mm -hmm. 2009, 14 years ago, uh, we started drafting a plan and we've been doing it ever since and have become increasingly passionate about helping people around, you know, health and functional independence and the stresses of caregiving and it's evolved from there. So I've been working in the senior care industry for several years, and this is so needed. Go ahead, Karen. Well, I, my question is, is this more for the home care or are, is it now being brought into assisted living, independent living individuals? Well, I look at assisted living and independent care. Um, that's just their new location of, of personal residence, right? Okay. Um, you know, when, when we looked at this, so let's talk a little about those numbers I was talking about. So worldwide, one, one in every three people lives with not one, but multiple chronic conditions. Right? And in the United States, it's worse. It's 133 million Americans where 40% of our entire population has got two or more chronic conditions. It's a big number. We've got uh, about 54 million aging adults. They're 65 or older. And, you know, our liver and kidney function and the way we metabolize medications doesn't get better as we get older. Um, my vision's not getting better. My hearing's not getting better. My speed of thought, I don't think, is as fast as it used to be. Um, so, you know, we have some emerging challenges that we face and that progress over time. There's uh, 39 million people in, the, in North America that are providing unpaid informal caregiving, right? Almost, almost mm -hmm. all family members, right? Their loved ones. Right. And we have a, a developing private pay, you know, by the hour, part to full-time, you know, caregiving industry available. But only 3% of North America has a discretionary funds for just a few hours a day five days a week. Right. So, right. And they don't even allow a few hours a day. It's usually a four hour minimum. Yeah. You got a four hour minimum. They can't yes. traffic caregivers and make their financial model work without it. And it's a hard business model for them. It's hard to get good people, qualified people. You know, there's pressure to increase wages while the competition is trying to squeeze your margin. It's an industry with a lot of high turnover. And customers don't like to see unfamiliar new faces. You know, they want to get comfortable mm -hmm. with who's coming into the home. But you, you, you take this, this enormous, you know, population of people living with chronic conditions. And that's, you know, your cardiovascular disease, your respiratory disease, rampant rates of uh, diabetes. Uh, you got your cancers and problems from obesity and all the complications, by the way, that come from diabetes. So suddenly you got problems with your kidneys, you've got neuropathy and nerve problems, you've got declining vision, 
So, you know, these diseases are tough and worldwide, half of all the treatment failures in the world are attributed to not following through on the treatment plan. And mm -hmm. virtually all of that, 99% of that all happens inside the home. So, you know, we had to figure out, well, we got a, an ill population and it's not just older adults, we've got a big aging population, but we also have 9 million sick and or disabled kids. So about 27% of our kids have a chronic condition or uh, a disability or both. And we've got a lot of stressed out parent, you know, caregivers. So there are, you, you got to find a place to start. And when we put our model together, it was based on putting connected care technology in the home that first and foremost would provide support to carers, support to patients, to older adults with a specific explicit focus on improving treatment adherence. Because we said, if we can just keep them on track with following through on their treatment plan, then if, if and if we're able to put any measurable dent in this problem, which is very costly and causes a lot of loss of life and loss of functional independence and a lot of loss of dignity. So if we can fix that one problem, we will transform healthcare. So we thought, well, we've got this one big agenda. Well, once you dive into it with the patients and caregivers and then add the providers, it gets more and more and more complicated, which is why we're, you know, a decade and a half. And sometimes I feel like we're just getting, you know, just getting going. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, putting technology in is one thing, but you have to be cognizant of the experience and the capabilities and the preferences of your, you know, consumer or patient, right? Because if I have, and we've seen it, I think they, they now say there's about 300,000 application-based solutions. So what that means is you download something off your Android or, or iOS, you know, Apple store, mm -hmm. and suddenly you have a health app and it's connected to a phone or a tablet. Well, if I have, uh, if, if I'm in cognitive decline, if I have some memory challenges, if I'm experiencing that because I'm medicated, if I have... Uh, arthritis and I'm coping with chronic pain, if I have the stress of being on the other side of my next new most recent diagnosis and sometimes feeling the hopelessness of a complex new treatment plan, uh, an explanation I didn't want for why I'm feeling poorly, uh, thumbing through you know, smartwatches and tablets and clicking on little icons and opening up decision trees is, is not really the best form factor for somebody that might be resistant to technology already, sure. but with declining hearing and vision and other challenges, it, it's just not the best, it's not the best form. So as these things have flooded the market in this rush to market, first thinking what's the fastest path to get out there and start making money, they miss the part about spend the time with the patient and understand what their needs are and understand that you're gonna have terrible utilization and people aren't gonna give you the continued use, which means you're not gonna collect the data. You're not gonna have early identification of changes in health status. They're not gonna get the benefit. We're not gonna extend functional lifespan and we're not going to help empower the provider to do a better job with personalizing 
care on an individual basis. Right? I know it's a mouthful, but. <laughs> no. Well, when I look, so when I was introduced to this product, I was at a senior event and I was looking for my mother because she's, she's not tech savvy at all. Like she'll put her phone on mute or airplane mode. She has, she said the phone does it. The phone doesn't do it, mom, you do it. So I needed to find something that I thought she could actually handle that helped make it easy. And that's what I saw in this product. So how does it do that for somebody? How is it easier to do than an Apple watch, for example? Well, I mean, everything that we have, um, like I said, is centered around, uh, it, it's kind of, you know, simplistic, elegant, simplistic design, one touch features and a lot of voice incorporated. So okay. if you look at our uh, kind of, entry-level device, it's kind of a next-generation medical alert, right? You have, um, you can have either a, a console and a wearable for emergencies, or we have a, you know, geo-positioning, uh, you know, little mini controller. And you can clip that on your belt or put it in your pocket and you have a wearable tied to it. Now that- it's Like a pager. Yeah. And it, it isn't just an emergency response device, like our, our you know, most popular package there um, and, and because we deal with a lot of people with foot and ankle problems and diabetic neuropathy, we have some fall risk folks. So we'll have an auto fall detector. You don't see, you know, under their blouse, they've got a wearable emergency pendant on their wrist, but that mini controller is programmed for their personal care plan. So it'll chime at them. They press a button and it gives them a voice reminder of which, portion of their treatment plan to follow through on. So is it re remembering to record a vital because on your next doctor's visit, your doctor's going to want to see these readings? Is it reminding you of the next three medications that you need to take? And they're monitored reminders. So if the reminder comes, we're looking to see that you acknowledge the reminder and play the message. If you don't, then we get a medication fail alert out to the family caregivers and we can actually reach out to the to the client and try to figure out why they're not responding. Sometimes it's because they were unable. And so they might have, you know, an exacerbation or some extenuating circumstances. So we catch things that would slip through the cracks just by watching if they're responding to their care plan reminders. Now that same button that plays the reminder, if you press and hold it, goes to a 24-7 virtual primary care. And we have a lot of people that love this. We call it Pocket MD. And the way the service works is it's almost like, um, I like to say it's almost like having an Uber app, right? But you just press and hold this button. It's like Uber for a consultation with a doctor by remote. And I'll, I'll give you a, a perfect example. Maybe not the best, prettiest picture, but it always seems like it's 11 o'clock at night, two in the morning, a weekend, suddenly your stomach starts churning and you find yourself stuck on a commode. The idea of trying to get into a car, and a lot of our folks have mobility issues or aren't driving right. anymore, and then get 20 minutes to an urgent care, especially after the pandemic, to sit in a waiting room full of dozens of other sick people when you're already at risk. It might be hours before you actually get in for a mm -hmm. consult with the doc, if you can get there at all, and you might not be in the most dignified state when you do. So what this allows um, our customers to do 
is transmit a call, get to the decision desk, they identify the, the patient or client. Uh, we find out, is it for them? Is it a spouse? Is it, you know, a kid in the house? Because we also have pediatrics tied to this service. And that call is just about two minutes. And they set up your profile and your need, and they put it up on an exchange. And all these licensed uh, telemedicine doctors in your state, their apps light up on their phones. And the first one that grabs it makes the call, pulls up a health file on you that we set up at the time we activate your account. They phone you. They can do a video call if you want. And they'll actually go through an assessment for most non-emergent conditions, get a script called in to your preferred pharmacy. You never left the commode to get it all done, right? So the convenience of that is extraordinary and it is widely appreciated um, by by our customers. Now we have some uh, more robust solutions. Uh, one of them is is off my shoulder, a couple of them actually. We have an interactive Medicine. yeah interactive voice based smart health hub. and this goes into the home and we do this um, with a lot of doctors coast to coast that are providing Medicare reimbursed remote patient monitoring. And so what happens is the hub goes in the home, lights up and chimes when it's time to, for instance, record a vitals reading. And if we need you to step on the weight scale, check the blood pressure, check the blood sugar, use your spirometer, you know, meter for your blood, your your, uh, lung capacity, check your body temperature, pulse oximetry, whatever it is. So it'll remind you that it's time to do it. And then the system looks for you to actually take the reading. If you don't respond to the reminder, our telecenter engages. If you respond to the reminder, but you don't step on the scale or take the uh, blood pressure reading or the blood sugar reading, the glucose reading, then we reach out and we engage again. And we'll coordinate with the family care circle and your care team at your provider's office to make sure everybody's in the loop and knows what's going on at, at any time. And why that is such an effective solution is because the average patient might see the doctor four times a year. And by the way, we have a big doctor problem, right? So what's Mm -hmm. that? We have 33% of our doctors are at 65 or older with an average retirement age of 68. Most of that 33% are working past the normal traditional retirement age. We are about to experience the biggest implosion into our medical labor market that we've ever experienced in world history before. And so we have, you know, a limited number of seats, a limited number of medical schools with a limited, you know, supply of new people coming into the profession. Well, we have skyrocketing chronic conditions, environment, Western diets and lifestyle and all the things that contribute. And then we have this aging population of 54 million that by 2060 will be at 96 million. And we cannot serve the ones that are in the market right now that need support. Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of our chronic population resides percentage wise. And so they need support. Well, now what, what we've discovered is, you know, doctors have very little time, right? So if they have to go through and scrub patient lists to identify various disease profiles and match those up with 
health peripherals and monitoring devices, and then explain and make those thousands of calls to explain the program and how it works to gain consent and buy-in from the patient, and then distribute technology, educate the patient on using it, and make sure they take the required number of readings in a month for Medicare to pay. The doctors don't have time for that. They always say, the, the clinic is running me. I'm not running the clinic. The last thing I have is time. You guys gave me an EHR system and said it's going to make my life easier. And I spend 70% of my time in the health record system. And it's taken away time with patients. You know, there are a lot of benefits to it but it's introduced some challenges. So what we did is we put together these different patient-facing technologies and we coupled that to an intermediary and diverse telecare team that is expertly trained for behavioral health, remote chronic care support and management and health coaching and you know the different disease profiles they'll, they'll deal with. One minute we're dealing with an endocrinologist and the next minute it's a neurologist and the next minute it's a cardiologist and the next minute it's a gerontologist or primary care. So we have to interface with a lot of different automation systems, a lot of different workflows and a lot of different practice disciplines. So what we've done is we've organized a suite of personalized, uh, highly user-friendly, but very capable patient-facing support systems for the home plumbed that back into this expanding intermediary telecare center who for the doctor scrubs the list, makes the phone calls, formulates the you know orders and configures equipment and customizes it for the care plan and educates the patient on how to use it and makes sure they're continuing to engage and follow through and answering additional questions. And sometimes we'll get a patient that has skyrocketing blood pressure and our intermediary work discovers somebody hasn't taken their meds for two days. The next person has plummeting blood pressure, and we find out they'd recently had a blood pressure medication change, and the dosage needs to be increased. So they're taking it, but they're not getting the right therapeutic response. Uh, with the next patient, they've been having uh, you know, some dizziness and some palpitations and some other, you know, some other conditions, so our nurse goes through this list of inter interrogatories and goes through and updates the health record, gets information to the doctor. We find out because of the surveys and the assessment we did, we rapidly discovered that their pacemaker was misfiring. So we deal with these escalations and exacerbations through our telecare center, which is often prompted from the technology we have monitoring the patients. And then we get the actionable data back to the doctor. Now, if you think about what I said, there is now the ability when I would normally only see a doctor four times a year or a patient four times a year. And I, by the way, when these patients come in, they don't, they don't take their blood pressure readings and track their different vitals readings. They, they forget and then write it on the back of an envelope in the parking lot outside yeah. their appointment, you know. They, in a calendar quarter, there's all kinds of things that come up, uh, aches and pains and new symptoms. And they, they think, I've got to remember to tell the doctor on my next visit. Well, by the time they get to the doctor and the long wait in the waiting room, the long wait in the exam room, the doctor comes in, opens a folder and begins asking questions. You know, several of the things that they meant to bring up, they forget about. 
And by the time the next visit comes, it just becomes the new normal. So there's never been a way for a doctor on an individual basis to be able to see how these patients are responding to the individual treatment directives at scale. So what we're supplying is a pipeline of continuous engagement, connectivity, and data collection across a broad portion of their patient population so they get scale. Then we have this intermediary filtering system that's doing additional assessments and then getting the actionable data to the doctor without disrupting workflows, without requiring an investment, without requiring staffing. And we fixed a big problem that's coming and we're already experiencing it. But as we lose more doctors to retirement, what we've done is we've allowed a doctor to deliver more services to more patients to help fill the gap. And then we're doing a, a better job of helping coordinate this information throughout the entire care circle, because it's your right. patient, it's your provider, it's their care team. And it's the the family carers, right? And uh, and and as we've done this, we realized there was more need, more things we could do, and that led us to ultimately. Um, and it's taken a long time. We put a multi million dollar lab together with New Mexico State University. We organized partners that had different technologies from. Anelto to Orbeck to Microsoft to Google to Apple um, to Intel. And what we did is we organized thousands of patients collaborating with hundreds of providers and spent six and a half years sending a very advanced laboratory out where we would sit and spend a lot of time with these individuals across thousands, finding out how do you feel about this technology? How do you feel about that technology? What kind of things are you facing? We go through these 50 question health history surveys with them. And then we'd suit them up with body markers. We'd have wearables. We would have, go through all these motion and various types of analytics. The university would be getting that data in real time. And we would take data and technology and patient feedback to put all of that together to develop you know, the more advanced solutions we're putting in the market that we knew would work for the patient or the older adult or the caregiver, right. you know, and, um, and that led us to the invention of uh, what we call Addison care. And Addison was something um, that, you know, I, I, you go back to 2014 when Alexa became the, the rave with Amazon. And we wrote, I believe the very first health skills for Alexa around medication management. And I, I looked at this cylinder and the voice was so easy. It was so friendly, but I kept having to reach out to the voice. And I, I couldn't feel in the first few months, like I could establish a lasting bond and there was some utility that was missing. And I said, you know, when we interviewed all of these hundreds of doctors and work with these thousands of patients, we we're talking about treatment adherence. You know what we're really talking about? The most difficult single thing in healthcare is inspiring sustained behavioral change. To be able to do that on an individual basis, but then to be able to do that with the masses is very difficult. Um, sometimes people don't want to 
change their behavior because of addictions, um, because of a sense of hopelessness, because they just don't have the energy and the effort, because sometimes they don't like the way the physical routine or the medication causes them to feel. And so they're you know reluctant to do it. And I said, gosh, we've got to figure out a way not just to have a, a simple user interface, but we have to have a way to be able to educate through demonstration, whether that's physical therapy, whether that's changing a wound dressing for a caregiver, um, whether it's remembering how to use the glucose meter that they, they used yesterday, but for whatever reason today, they just can't remember what they're supposed to do first, right? Yeah. So I wanted to provide the, the power of demonstration. So we decided, you know, I know people have talked about Siri and Alexa and Microsoft's Cortana, Google Home. You know, with Siri and Alexa, people would always say, I wonder what that person looks like who, who stands, you know, who's behind the voice. And I said, let's give the voice a face and a body. And let's import it into a 3D environment that's projected into the home. And let's let people pick their ethnicity and pick their gender. And let's populate the environment with color. And let's have this technology express, you know, sentiment, empathy, humor, when to be a little more serious when to be a little bit more fun. If we could program that in and make it more relational, imagine if this virtual caregiver shared your life experiences. You like cats, you like birds, you like dogs. Well, those things get introduced into her scenes and he or she you know, has one. Um, how about when it's raining outside or snowing or the leaves are blowing, when Addison's and her scenes, and you look out her windows, you see that she's having the same weather experience. The temperature drops, the fireplace comes on automatically. Let's take it so far that on Valentine's Day, she's wearing a shirt, but on Ramadan or Hanukkah or Christmas, she begins to decorate her different homes that you can customize in different rooms. And she celebrates your, your faith and your holidays, whether it's it could be Veterans Day, you know, it could be Memorial yeah. Day. And, you know, of course, this this idea now uh, becomes something that requires a mixed reality engine, connectivity to the health peripherals, connectivity to the life safety devices, the option to tie into connected home, you know, devices. You got to have care plan management. It's got to be hooked into health networks, and you got to be able to run this program if you're a doctor through your health record system. We've got visual analytics. We've got med routines and all the care plan management and interactive health assessments that you can use touch or voice to respond to. Um, it's cloud computing. It's edge computing. It's artificial intelligence. And then you have to have really robust privacy and security. Because people do not, they love voice, but they don't like an endless open pipe to the internet cloud out there listening all the time. That's where our edge computing came in. So we encrypted and we put the voice on the computing edge, on the hardware in the home, locked it down. So 
brief gates will open to transmit data, but it's not that open pike line, right? And as it gets bigger and bigger, you realize, well, there's standards for the United States and standards in Europe and different languages and, you know, and it just goes and goes. And when we started this business, we had talked to these Silicon Valley banks and they said, going to build this big enterprise solution to manage all these systems and care plans. And then you're going to deploy some lab for half a decade. And then you're going to launch a product and then another product and one of them's private pay and another one's Medicare. And then you want to expand into Medicaid. And then you want to build this dynamic, sophisticated virtual caregiving system. And they said, you're talking, you'll need half a billion dollars. So many moving parts. Nobody would ever get behind something so outrageous. So last year, we had kind of come full circle, built the enterprise system, built the private pay side, built a national network of resellers, got the Medicare, got the Medicaid out, demonstrated 2019, again in 2020, a demonstrable Addison. And through the pandemic, we cost her down, improved you know, her capability and utility and function and did endless focus groups and beta tests. So real world users could help us perfect it to their satisfaction. And now it's in market. And we did such a job of putting these elements together. Uh, we didn't even know what we had. So when COVID came and there were a lot of lockdowns, we had hospitals come to us and say, we are out of beds. We have no room for new COVID patients and we're not seeing our non-COVID patients and we're out of money. And there were two competing hospitals in the Southern part of New Mexico, different workflows, little nuggets of, of resources. In two weeks, we deployed an outpatient 24 seven remote you know, telecare solution for them and helped them assess and, and remotely you know, grade, uh, you know, the, the, and evaluate their patients. In four months, we opened up 70% of their available capacity. And we blinked and we started getting calls from a big health system in Memphis who said, can you do for us what you did there? We had calls coming from athletic teams, five Bundesliga pro soccer teams owned by Red Bull that wanted to keep athletes practicing but they wanted to use existing computer equipment. They wanted to do interactive health surveys, ingest some vitals data for body temperature and blood oxygen levels uh, tied to these surveys. They wanted it all in German with an admin panel. And they also wanted an app on a mobile device. So if any athlete or coach or you know team administrator went anywhere near a COVID hotspot that got flagged and sent back, and we did that too. So we were, you know, serving from the United States to, to Europe. So, you know, and, and that you would ask about assisted living and independent care um, that really helped us provide some solutions in that venue as well, because, you know, we all saw residents, you know, reaching through plastic to mm -hmm. embrace somebody through a window right they couldn't have contact with. And so what we did is we said, look, you know, virtually all your independent community, and of course with your assistant, everybody here's got multiple chronic conditions. 
So why don't we put health monitoring in so that they can be a resident in this community a lot longer, have an improved quality of life through keeping them on track with their treatment plan, early identifying changes in health status, being able to coordinate with their you know, care circle so that if they're in health decline, we can expedite intervention and have it be more informed intervention to personalize adjustments to that treatment plan so you can really deliver precision medicine. But because of what we did with these sports teams and academic institutions and hospitals, tell you what else we can do. Why don't we monitor your 120 residents for signs of infectious disease? Because it's not just COVID, it's influenza. Mm -hmm. And every time you have a resident who goes down the hallway sick and dines with 90 other residents at breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you get a lot of at-risk people falling ill and it leads to loss of life. They escalate into nursing homes and they lose their ability to have their dignity and independence. So we'll give you infectious disease monitoring, chronic support, emergency response, and we can even drop an app on the younger family members, give them some devices, and for every enrichment coordinator, manager, chef, maintenance person, or any family visitor, as long as they're running with three, you know, with three appropriate readings, three days of readings, they can access the facility. Why let them walk through the door to check body temperature only and not get other data points? and have them already be on site sick when you identify the problem. So because temperature want... didn't always tell you there was a problem. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. The other thing I, I'm hearing with this is it can help with staffing because you can allow your nursing staff to be with the people who can't do their own monitoring, who can't do those things. This, can't you send it directly to the nurse's station, right? Uh, we can. We can yeah. create communication pathways for you know, almost infinite combinations of data and alerts and, you know, information, and we can get it where it needs to go. And that's what I found so amazing. You have so many avenues to use this product or the products that you have that I felt it was something people needed to really know about, that they have these options out there, because really all they think about is maybe the Apple Watch or, oops, I've fallen and I can't get up one button to press, Right. They right. don't have these options out there. And it's really quite affordable. I know you haven't discussed pricing. You don't have to. But I'm telling everyone it's quite affordable, which is it's nice to have. Healthcare is so expensive. Yeah, we, this is something that's less expensive than having a caregiver come into your house, yeah. an actual caregiver at $30, $35 an hour. If you look at uh, there's a, a Genworth cal- calculator, if you type like, you know, you go in a, on a search engine like Google and you look for the Genworth long-term care calculator. You can see just how expensive it is. And horrible. It's it starts in thousands a month and they go through, you know, light home care support, you know, more of the uh robust, you know, uh skilled support yeah. in the home. Mm-hmm. They go through adult day care care, independent care assisted. And what's interesting about the calculator is you can drag the bar and you can select, I want to see it by the hour, by the month, by the year. So you look at it by the month and you can drag it to 2025, 2030, 40, 50, 60, and you can see how unbearable all of these prices get. 
so you're talking about things, you know, some of our things that are that are pennies a day, right? Um, we have we have a solution to help educate caregivers, help them delegate responsibilities, leverage the the telecare center and the virtual caregiver. That's a fraction of what it costs for part time care, and you've got to have the delegation and coordination, you, everybody needs to have some help because right. you can't do it all with just technology and remote workers. There are times and tasks where you need human hands, right? But you need right. to be able to provide support for those human hands. You need to know that there's accountability on the other side and that's where technology can provide alternatives and options for families that are looking at, how do I manage this? when I have my own house and my own job and my maybe my own health issues, and I'm trying to take care of the life of another. We can you know, you're in that sandwich generation, right? Where you may have your own children as well and college and all sorts of things that you're paying for. How do you manage that when you but have you know what? I, I think there's a whole other community that we're not thinking about. And it's adults who are choosing not to have a marriage or significant other living, living alone. alone. I have two sons. Yeah. One is 45, one is 32. My 32 year old moved to Texas and with in a couple of days, he was so sick. He had just moved there to start a new job. He kept calling me long distance. Like I, you know, Dr. Mom's going to take care of him. Yeah. Now, luckily I was able to walk him through some processes but he didn't know when was the right time to call 911 or if he should. Um, And my older son, a couple of years ago, thought he just had a cold and he had pneumonia and it took him almost six months to recover by the time they diagnosed him. So just hearing about this, it it just helps all of us. Well, this is something a discharge planner can use as well. So if somebody's leaving the hospital, let's say with pneumonia, and it takes months and months to heal up, you can be on this for that length of time, right? So it's not it's going to help keep them safe. It's going to help with readmissions because you're going to be able to monitor them. So yeah, there's definitely an advantage of, for anyone that might have had a health scare. We have a lot of hospitals and uh, medical home health companies that use this to reduce readmission rates and help with transitional care. Uh, but but what was just uh, mentioned, early identification is so important. The faster we can intervene, and it doesn't matter if it's whether it's illness or injury, right? So if we look at the average length of time, somebody, nobody wants to admit, you don't like to talk about the fall thing. It happens so much. And it happens to young people. They're putting away dishes. They forget the dishwasher doors open and they they turn and they down they go. And the next thing you know, you're you know, 40 years old and you fractured a hip and fractured some ribs and you've got a head trauma. You know, it, it happens to people of all ages. Uh, but the average length of time, because so many people live alone, and I'll tell you, with, with the men, the men, you know, we do more dangerous things. That's one explanation for it. There are <laughs> others. Uh, but, you know, we die typically sooner. And so you've got almost half of women by the age of 74 that are living alone, right? So you look at the average length of time they're down and it's 18 hours before somebody shows up. Mm -hmm. In the first minutes, the first hour, 
is terrifying because when you have a stumble and all of a sudden, you know, you bounce off a cabinet, you go down and you fracture, you know, a bone, uh, the pain's excruciating. You, you have this moment of, uh-oh, you can barely take a breath because it's like a javelin through the chest from the pain every time, you, you know, as you move. And then you realize I can see a phone I cannot get to. I can't get to the phone, can't move, right? And you start doing this tally in your head saying, well, how long is it going to be before the first phone call comes that I don't answer? And how many times will they call before they get concerned? And, you know, you start adding up the, the hours. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're over 65, 65 or older, and you have a broken hip, and you get to six hours. Now, you've got compression on tissue. You might be restricting blood flow. You've got inflammation. There's these other exacerbations caused by the injury. So, so what happens statistically? It's six hours, 90% will live the rest of their life having lost their independence. So be in a nursing home. And 60% of that group will be no longer be with us in one year. Right? But what if that same person goes down at 65, fractures a hip, and somebody is there at their side within what they call the golden hour, first 60 minutes? It's the exact inverse you have a 90% chance of maintaining all or a big portion of your functional independence, right? It's all about expediting response, getting somebody to get you on fluids, manage your pain. And even when we get into these trauma centers, it used to be level one trauma centers were filled with people that are flying off motorcycles, shooting and stabbing each other, and they bandaged them up and they well, starting around 2008, 2009, all our trauma centers are overflowing with people that are 65 or older. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't as easy. They had different chronic conditions. They were seeing different doctors. They were on different meds. They had to get different specialists in. And they could not get them rapidly treated feet to floor and out the door. So rates of you know, respiratory failure, cardiovascular failure, other types of infections, UTIs, you know, um, would cause a lot of uh, extenuating circumstances, complications, including loss of life. So there, we have a partner called G60 Trauma, and they run a lot of trauma centers in Arizona for Honor Health. Um, and they put an aggressive treatment plan together in response to the CDC's request saying, we're going to see this. And their chief surgeon, uh, Dr. Alicia Mangrum said, what are you talking about? It's a young man's place, you know, to get into trauma. And she said, there was 2008, 2009, it happened just the way they said. Feet to floor and out the door, expedited response and treatment. If we look at some of the new drugs, we were just up with the governor in New Mexico. And, um, you know, we have customers all over the United States, I mentioned internationally. But we're getting a lot of attention in the state because we're a big employer now. And we're building this Rio Grande tech corridor and We've got our own little New Mexico Silicon Valley growing out of here. Um, so we were talking about some of the challenges that are happening in the state, some of the challenges that are happening in uh, some of the rural areas, but we're at an Alzheimer's event. And there's these drugs that they can put you on that will really provide some relief and extend your quality of life much longer. What is the key to their function? you got to get them early into the cycle. 
early into the diagnosis. And as long as we can leverage technology and telecare teams to early identify changes in health status, first moments of decline, when are they in cognitive decline? When are they in physical decline? If we can do that, then it opens up a lot of options that you wouldn't have being late to the game. Absolutely. Um, before we go, I can't believe we've our time's almost up. There, you had a ton of information to give everyone. Um, can you tell me just a couple of the little features that I think are are nice? We've talked about the bigger meat piece of this, but things like the voice that's used to talk about the medication reminders. You can use your family's voice, right, as well as one that's provided. Is yeah, you can custom you can customize reminders. So Sometimes customizing for daughter. someone like my mother is important, so she can yeah. hear her do- her daughter's voice saying, "Take your blue pill, take your <laughs> red pill, take whatever pill you may need to take." So I think that that's a unique piece. Not everybody has that opportunity to have that, and also. Um, you can put codes in, right, where the key is to get in so you don't have to break somebody's door down. Yeah, sure. We do. Yeah, we have a lot of that. So we we typically so there's a lot of personalization right down to customizing a voice. Right. Um, uh, especially on our pro health system and our premier, our, our mobile telecare and emergency mm-hmm. response system and kind of our chronic care system in the home. So those are features there. We will typically get several people that are in the care circle. We refer to them often as responsible parties. Um, And this is when we're sending a responder out because there's been a verified emergency or we can't make contact and there are indicators that something's Mm -hmm. wrong. And so usually we'll find out is one of those a key holder and a designated key holder will be called to be able to intervene. We do have a lot of people that say, hey, can I get a lockbox? And we'll provide a lockbox, box. And it can be on a door, you know, in a pot in the corner. It can be in the garden. We'll know where it is for the responders. Mm-hmm. And we hold the code and we'll give that to verified responders so they can access without kicking down a door. Now, you know, there are times where uh, people are injured and they have been laying there for, you know, hours. And right. they, they, right? Um, got to get in who's kicking, o- kicking open the door. Right. I mean, so there are people that let's say don't have our system that gosh, get them in, but right. yeah, let's say they've got our system. We make sure that people have uh, v- verified access. Well, I was talking to somebody who's an EMS person and they thought that was great to have that opportunity, especially for a frequent flyer, somebody who falls a lot, goes to the hospital a lot, then they don't want to have to keep breaking down a door, kicking in a door to help those people. So I thought that that was a really right. nice feature and something that seems simple, but most places don't have that. Most of these types of um, home care items, electronic items, monitoring items, they don't have that. And we have that even with independent and assisted. So they want to make sure that there's access. There are some of these places where, um, believe it or not, they usually responders have access to a building without break at a sliding door, right, to get in. Mm-hmm. Um, but they'll give us specific instructions on making sure that responders know how to, without damage to access a, a property. And we don't explain all of these things, but we do have um, a lot of information about different products and services, how it works for doctors, how it works for caregivers, how it works for older adults uh, and their concerned loved ones. 
um, at electroniccaregiver.com. So people can always look at electroniccaregiver.com and kind of get the information. And um, and then in the area that you're working, by the way, you're in Ohio. I hear that they, I you had your derailment out there. How is that? <laughs> yeah, that's a big deal. They're okay? really worried about the well water being contaminated now. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of... Uh, well, they had one in Houston, and I believe they've had another one today in South Carolina. Um, I didn't realize. I thought, what is happening? The balloons in the air and derailment. <laughs> you know, what's happening? But apparently we have like 1,700 train derailments a year. Wow. And I was thinking, oh, it might be nice. You know, maybe my, my wife and I will, t- will take one of those train rides up the coast. And I, hell no. Not <laughs> 1,700? Yeah. you got to be kidding. If you yeah, think about a car accident right. comparison, right? There are many more car accidents in a year. Oh, I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm a pilot. I know those uh, stats, but, uh, you know, I don't know. 1,700. It's, it's a, a lot. lot. It sounds like that many lot. <laughs> So I have been on a train, and there's something very special about taking a train to go to a location. It takes yeah, you back in history. It's a, so. it's a neat way to travel. Yeah. It really is. It is. Well, we appreciate having you on. There was so much information. I could probably have you on an additional time to add more information in. But if anybody wants information to check it out, why don't you repeat the website again? Electroniccaregiver.com. Easy to find. Long. Of course, if anybody's in. What'd you say? I said it's a long name, but. It is, but they'll remember. That's what we do. That's right. And we'll make sure that's in the show notes for people. Also, if you're interested, you can give me a call. My information will be in the show notes as well. That's so right. I really appreciate your time. You're very Happy welcome. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to you both. This is a great gift to give your loved one. Absolutely. If you don't know what to give them, you can give them the electronic caregiver for sure. Thank you very fun. much, Anthony. It was great meeting you. Thank Everybody you. have a Bye great you. evening. Take care. Bye-bye.